today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Whenever the enemy would say, oh, what about this? We can just say, it's covered by the blood. Not in a lighthearted way, oh, I don't have to worry about that, it's covered in the blood. No, but in the reality and the truth of it. You know what? We are forgiven by the grace of God and by the blood of the Lamb. Let it be a reminder to us of God's willingness, yeah, to use even us. Even us in our weaknesses and in our failings. We can learn many things from the failure of Israel with the Gibeonites. We all have our personal Gibeonites, those decisions we've made in the past that have lingering consequences in our lives. In today's message, Pastor David will teach us to use these things in our lives as reminders that we are not perfect. The Bible says that without Him, we can do nothing. We need to let these things remind us of that. Will you let the Gibeonites in your life remind you of your need for Him? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Blessings of Gibeon. set you up in a place that uh, because we and the leaders didn't seek God, now here we are. The congregation, they weren't too happy about it, not too happy about it at all. As a matter of fact, they began to complain against Joshua and the elders. But, in again, a good thing for the leadership, they owned up to their own mistake. Verse 19 tells us, Then all of the leaders said to the congregation, Look, we've sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and now, therefore, we may not touch them. But this we will do to them. We'll let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live and let them be woodcutters and wood carriers of all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Again, so often the enemy of our souls comes in when we fall into sin, either directly or indirectly. He comes with accusations against us. He comes bringing charges against us. He comes telling us that we're failures, unusable in the kingdom of God. Now, you can just imagine as the people were complaining against Joshua and against the rulers, man, these accusations that would come, uh, you've got to understand that as a ruler, how that would make Joshua feel. And again, you're seeing the millions of people that you're leading and you're directing, and suddenly this murmuring, this complaining comes up, and your responsibility is to lead these people, and yet now these people see that you've really blown it big time. You're supposed to be seeking God. You haven't done it. 
You've blown it big time. Well, you know, the enemy of our souls does the same thing to each one of us, whether we're in leadership position or not. Whenever we don't do what we're supposed to do or do what we're not supposed to do, the enemy comes up to us and says, see, you failed again. You've Just like AI, you failed over at AI. Now you failed here. And you call yourself a leader? You call yourself a Christian? This is the same problem you had last month or uh, three weeks ago. This is the same attitude you copped yesterday or the day before. This is the same words and things that you spoke, you know, just a week ago and you repented of. You said that you wouldn't do that again. See, the enemy of our souls keeps coming at us and keeps hammering us and keeps hammering us over and over, telling us we are failures, telling us we're unusable, telling us that, again, we've gone too far. And all too often, gang, we're willing to hear those accusations and we're willing to believe his reports against us. Suddenly we begin living our very lives in defeat. We're, we're unwilling, we're unable to move forward. Why? Because we're defeated. And we're living our lives as Christians who ought to be filled with the joy of the Lord, who ought to be filled with the power of the Lord, who ought to be filled with the boldness of the Lord. Suddenly we become, man, I, I can't share with anybody about my faith because I've messed up so bad. How can I really share my faith with them? I can't really pray or counsel somebody. Man, I've messed my life up so much. How can I really help and direct them? I can't really stand up strong for the Lord because I've fallen so many times. And every time I make a commitment to the Lord fresh and new, the enemy comes to me and he says, oh, that, that's what you said last month. And look what happened since then. Oh, that's the same thing you said when you went to that conference last year. You really said that, man, I'm going to, man, all to Jesus, all to Jesus, I surrender. And look what happened in between then and now. And you see, the enemy will just bury you with that. And you'll feel like your feet are filled with concrete. You feel like there's cotton in your mouth. You can't speak. You can't move. Why? Because the enemy of your soul continues to point out your failure. When in reality, what you and I need to be continually remembering is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. He'll say, what good are you? But what we need to remember is our God is for us. Church, you need to understand our God is for us. While we were even yet his enemies, he loved us so much, he sent Christ to die for us. How much more is he for us now that we are his children, that we've surrendered our lives into his care? Our God is for us, and he has plans for us and a future for us. And even when the enemy comes against us, understand, church, it's not our God who brings an accusation against you. It's the enemy. And that's why Paul brings such an encouraging word to us in the book of Romans chapter 8. Turn there, if you would. Keep your hand there in the book of Joshua. Forget about Luke. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The enemy is quick to point out the faults. But I want you to hear what God has to say for you and I, even in the midst of these things. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
And he asked the question, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? My goodness, it's God who justifies. Well, who is it that's going to condemn you as a believer? Don't you realize it's Christ who died for you, and furthermore, he's also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, and Christ is ever making intercession for us right now. Yeah, you failed. He knows that. He saw that. You're not hiding anything from him. That's why I say fall forward when you fall, because we're not hiding anything from him. He ever makes intercession for us. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Oh, the enemy of our soul, he's always he whispering and whispering, oh, you're so far, you're so far, you're so far. But our God is able, church. Who's going to separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And then he goes on to say, yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope, that is the foundation that we have in Christ, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. The enemy tries to make us think we are. The enemy tries to come, again, whispering his lies, whispering his deceit within our lives. Then again, we've blown it. How can you lead the people of Israel again? How can you really say that you're a Christian? How can you be a man of God? How can you be a woman of God after all the things that have gone on in your life? Joshua knew that he blew it. The leadership knew that they moved in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And yet they determined not to do two wrongs in order to make a right. He said, you know what? We blew it. We're going to live with the consequences of what we've done, but we're going to do the right thing. We made a covenant relationship with them, and you know what? We're going to live up to it. Let my yes be yes and my no be no. I'm going to keep my word to my own hurt according to what God's word declares. And so Joshua understood. They determined, again, that they were going to stand on the integrity of their word. They were going to stand on the integrity of who their God is. And so they stood by that covenant that they had made with the people of Gibeon. Look at verse 22, if you would. So Joshua called for them, the people of Gibeon. And he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We're very far from you, when really you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid of our lives because of you, and we've done these things. Now, here we are in in your hands. Do with us what seems good and right to do to us. And so he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. You've got to catch that there. The children of Israel wanted to kill them. Okay, Don't lose that point. And Joshua, who had blown it in leadership, is now in his place of leadership saying, no, you can't kill them. Okay, And that's why they're murmuring and complaining against Joshua. 
So Joshua stands by his word. He's willing to take the consequences of it. He says, okay, we're going to keep you here, but you are going to be woodcutters and water carriers to the altar of the Lord. But the people wanted to kill them. Verse 27, And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Joshua had a choice. He could have broken the covenant. I mean, you you lied to me, so the covenant doesn't count. You lied to me, so that clears all things. But the covenant that God speaks of, they are forever. And you've got to understand that too, Christian, that the covenant that God made with you is forever. His promise endures forever. Yeah, but I've blown it multiple times, multiple times I've blown it. God is a covenant God, and he keeps his covenant. He keeps his word, and he holds on to his promises to us. Joshua could have said, you guys lied to us, we're going to kill you. He could have probably even justified himself, not only to himself, but to the people. The people were for it, but the situation was there because he had moved in his own logic as a man in the very first place. I can blame my sin on a lot of things. I can blame my sin on my family, my background, my upbringing, my culture, my whatever it is. But the problem is, every one of us, we just need to fess up to where we're at and who we are and the choices that we make. And that's what Joshua is doing. He says, you know what, I I could blame them, but the fact is, is I blew it. And so I'm going to live up to my word. He was determined to do the right thing this time. He asked him, why do you deceive me? And these men were up front at that point in time. They said, well, we are the testimonies of the greatness of your God. And it scared us to death. And and you need to understand, too, that Gibeon was no small city. It was a a royal city. It was a pretty powerful city. The men of Gibeon, they were mighty warriors. We find this out in, in chapter 10 as it speaks about these guys. So it's not like they were a bunch of wimps and they figured that they were going to... No, these were mighty guys, but they had heard the testimony of the God of Israel and it put fear into them. They had seen what the God of these foreign people could do. And it appears to me as though these men, perhaps even that their whole city, they, they had that same understanding, that recognition of the greatness of the God of Israel, maybe very similar to, to Rahab the harlot. It sounds very much like her words to the two spies. Man, we've heard about your God. Your God is great. Your God is awesome. Your God is more powerful than anything we've ever seen. They figured they were going to be killed by the people of Israel, so what did they have to lose? Let's go to them and see if maybe we can, you know, trick them into having a covenant with us and protect us. And some would say that it was shameful for Joshua to make them servants, to say, well, in essence, you're going to be the slaves of the people of Israel uh, from now on. You're going to serve daily at the altar of the Lord. However, if you think about, think about the greatness of the place for them to serve. That they were going to be at the altar, the place of mercy that they were going to be serving at. The people of Gibeon would have never had the opportunity to be able to learn or or to hear about the greatness of Jehovah otherwise. Oh, they had already heard about his might, about his power, about his awfulness. They knew about that. But now they were experiencing firsthand His grace and His mercy, as well as His holiness. 
Because that's what the worship was all about, the holiness and the majesty and the might of God. Once again, the, the thing that the enemy had meant for evil, God turned around for good. You see, the enemy of their souls, I believe Satan himself, you know, brought in that deceit, uh, um, allowed Joshua and the elders to say, well, this seems logical, this seems right. And so they made this covenant relationship, again, something that could have destroyed them totally, and yet God turned it around and says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to use this for good. I'm going to bring this people of Gibeon, and they're going to be front row to the worship time. They're going to be front row as we come to bring our sacrifices, as we come to bring our prayers before the altar, they're going to be front row right there. They're going to know and hear more about me than they ever could or would have otherwise. God took what the enemy tried to do for destruction and turned it around for good. And I believe also that this became a pretty big reminder for Joshua, for the elders, and for the people of Israel. My guess is that every time that Joshua and the elders went to the tabernacle to worship, they'd see these Gibeonites all over the place. And once again, it's a reminder of, oh yeah, we don't want to do that again, okay? Uh, we've got these guys here, we just don't want to do that again. Let's make sure that we seek the Lord. Every time that they would go, it would be a reminder. I believe that it would humble them. And draw them again to be certain that they sought the Lord with all of their ways, that they didn't lean on their own understanding, but that they would acknowledge and seek the Lord in their lives. And I believe it also brought about a responsibility that we see in chapter 10 that we'll look at later. Again, a responsibility is Joshua and the army of Israel are called to defend and to protect the city and the people of Gibeon. Now I say all that to say this. We've taken all that time to come here, okay? You and I come here, a whole lot of us, we carry scars, we carry luggage, we carry responsibilities of the Gibeonites of our own lives. The things we've allowed into our lives, the things we've allowed the enemy to deceive us with, to to draw us into, these are the Gibeonites of our lives. And you know what? The consequences of those things, we have to deal with them many times on a regular basis. Consequences of past decisions, the effects of past sin, things that, oh, I wasn't really running from God, but I certainly wasn't pursuing him. And now I've got this situation in my life and I'm just having to deal with it now. And I know that it's hindering me. I know that it's, it's weight on me. It's luggage that I'm carrying around. It's, it's scars that are on me that, that I'm always having to deal with. But let me encourage you. Rather than allowing them to bring us into guilt and shame, we need to let these things be a constant reminder to us of the extent of God's grace and mercy. Whenever the enemy would say, oh, but what about this? We can just say, It's covered by the blood. Not in a lighthearted way. Oh, I don't have to worry about that. It's covered in the blood. No, but in the reality and the truth of it. You know what? We are forgiven by the grace of God and by the blood of the Lamb. Let it be a reminder to us of God's willingness, yeah, to use even us. Even us in our weaknesses and in our failings. 
Let it be a reminder that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Every one of us have areas in in our lives that we've failed in, that the enemy wants to keep throwing our way. And you know what? Some of those failures, yeah, we carry as luggage. We don't want people to see them. We try and hide our scars and cover those things up. But the fact is, is they're there and the enemy brings them out every chance that he can. Our God wants us to know that even in those things, it's in those weaknesses that his strength is made known and declared. It's in our failures that his victory stands out because he was victorious over all of it. He was without sin, and yet he loved you and me. Go figure that. In the greatness of his love, in the greatness of his compassion, and he still calls you and I where we're at. We are his representatives. That blows me away. We are his representatives. He wants us to be ambassadors for his kingdom, for the reality and the truth of who his son is, for the reality and the truth that there is a God in heaven who's created all that we know and all that we could ever know. And he, we will all stand before him one day and we will stand before him either he as judge or he as our father welcoming us into his presence. And he wants us to be his representatives. Yeah, with all the cracks, stains, chips, the struggles, he wants to use us. Let me ask you, do you have a Gibeon that you're carrying around? You need to continually be lifting it up and bringing it into the very presence of Almighty God and thanking Him for that daily reminder of His forgiveness and grace. Because the enemy's going to try and draw your attention to it every day to bring you down. Don't let him bring you down. Lift it up. When the enemy tries to pull you down, lift it up. Lord, not flaunting my failures, but thanking you that even in my failures, your grace abounds. Your grace abounds. Let it be a reminder also to seek the Lord while he may be found. We have this luggage, we have these scars, we have these things and say, oh man, I don't want to go there again. I don't want to go there again. Lord, let me, let me seek your face. Let me be in your presence so I don't go there again. Let it be your prayer. Say, thank you, Lord. To say, thank you, Lord, for the scars and, yes, even for the luggage of my past. Thank you, Lord, that there are consequences even of my choices that I'm reminded of on a continual basis. Thank you for those things that, again, because of my own sin, because of my own failures, they are the very things that remind me of your faithfulness, of your forgiveness, of your grace. Let them also remind me to continue to look to you for that continued guidance and leading in the decisions and choices of my life, not trusting my own logic, not trusting my own reason. Can you really get to a point in your life where you say, thank you, Lord, for the Gibeons of my life? The Gibeons of my life that may seem just so absolutely frustrating. And yet we walk in and say, Lord, that's what the enemy would pull me down with. And I just want to lift it up to you and let that draw me closer to you. 
and be a reminder to me. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. One of the mightiest warriors in the entire Bible was Joshua. God used Joshua to conquer many of the pagan nations surrounding God's people. From spying out the land God had promised his people, to Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Lord, this book will surely be an encouragement. Join us as David teaches through Joshua verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.